This morning, we are going to be continuing our sermon series, The Mystery Revealed, and we will be opening to Ephesians. Our scripture reading is Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. Join me there. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, hey, uh, good morning. My name is Nate. If I haven't met you yet, it's great to be with you. Uh, we've been in a vision series last uh, two weeks, right in the middle of it, and we've been looking at what would it look like for us to live out this vision, which is to see our city renewed by the gospel. And we've been taking our cues from the Apostle Paul's letter to this church at Ephesus. And we said this, the, the subtext of the letter is this, the world is broken. It's out of harmony. It's in disarray. That's both in relationship to God and with relationship amongst one another. But there's this promise that was made by God ages ago that he was going to restore it that he was going to bring about harmony in this world. And Paul uses this interesting term. He says that this mystery, in other words, has now been revealed. That something that was hidden for long ages has now been revealed. And the mystery is this, is that Christ, he is the one who has come to restore harmony. And we've seen the last couple of weeks, week one, we heard about the gospel, this good news about how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection takes us who are dead and makes us alive in Christ. And last week we saw not only does Jesus make us, take us from being dead to being spiritually alive, he actually takes those who we don't get along with on the outside world and actually in Christ actually makes us a new family. And this week, Paul pivots he pivots. Uh, he begins to talk about if that's true, if the mystery in Christ is true, if that's really what's happened in this world, 
and you found yourself in it, in a relationship with him, then how ought you live? In other words, there's a part of this where the gospel is not something merely to be believed, but it's actually something to be lived. And that's really important. So this week and the next two weeks, we're going to look at what does it look actually like to live out the gospel. And one of my favorite uh, pastors who's, who's, well, he's deceased now, but Eugene Peterson, he put it this way, there's got to be a living of the gospel locally, patiently, and personally. And what's really interesting is where Paul begins what was just read Paul begins to unpack that, and guess where he begins? He begins right here with the relationships in the church. Think about that for a moment. In light of what God has done in Christ, that actually changes and shapes our relationships right here. And Paul gives us three things about these relationships He shows us our need for them. He shows us the texture of these relationships. Then lastly, there's a call. So let me pray and we'll we'll get in. So Father, what we do not know, would you teach us? What we do not have, would you give us? And what we are not, would you make us? For the sake of your son, Jesus, amen. So first, the need. Um, In Ephesians 4, verses 13 and 14, Paul uses an an illustration, a metaphor we can all relate to. Look look at what he says. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Uh, Paul begins to show the need for relationships in the church by saying this, we're all infants who need to grow up. And what's really interesting here is uh, Paul himself says, we. In other words, Paul is including himself as a child, as an infant. And in case you didn't know, like Paul wrote almost half the New Testament, okay? And Paul is saying, in the gospel, I'm an infant. I need to grow up. And here's the great thing. Think about this way. If you don't know what it's like to be an infant or a child, all you have to do is look around Redeemer City. They're all over the place. Uh, And what does that mean? Well, a couple things that you may notice. Infants, children, they're kind of self-centered, right? Right? Uh, Listen, uh, if you're a mom or dad, you know when you take your little one to Aldi or Target, you know they're not like this. Mom or dad, what would you like me to do? How could I help you as we get groceries for the family, right? You know what you do? You do a lot of planning. You're like, when does this kid sleep? Maybe we go after the nap or after he's fed, making sure he's okay, because if you mess it up, like, and you get in there, it's like, it's game over. Like, you get out with three items and you're done right? Secondly, one pastor put it this way, infants, children are flaky. Think about this way. If you have a kid, 
Uh, you give him a piece of candy. The next minute, he wants something different. Or you hand him a toy. The next minute, he wants something different. He's, they're, they're, they're not easily content. And here's what Paul's saying here. This is what Paul's saying. Uh, when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, you and I are very much like that infant. And we need to grow up. Put it this way. If we're really honest, when we first heard the gospel, this good news about Jesus, we were really excited in the fact that, wow, my sins are forgiven. I have this hope of eternal life, a hope of heaven. And yet, here's how oftentimes we end up living daily. We look at others, maybe the relationships they have, maybe the kind of family they have, maybe the athletic ability, maybe the degree. You know what we do? We begin to grumble. We begin to compare. Or how about this? In a season of suffering, and it might be financial instability, a job loss, it might be unwanted singleness, we have this thought, God, where are you? And we end up putting God on the shelf for a season. We're flaky. We're wondering, God, why don't you give me what I want? And, and don't you see, that's, Paul's saying that's your life, that's my life. And Paul's saying, you've got to grow up. I mean, if you have kids, you know you don't want your kid to grow up and continue to be self-centered and flaky. You want them to grow up to be mature, to have a poise, a sturdiness. And that's what Paul is saying here. And what's interesting is notice how the relationships in the church relate to growth. Because look at what Paul says in verse 16. Paul writes this, from whom, this is speaking of Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul uses this analogy of the church, the relationships in the church with different parts, and he says there is an interdependency. Notice that. Just for a moment, would you do something for me? Would you just not look at me? Would you look at those next to you for a moment? I know this is really awkward. Maybe you didn't. Yeah, some of you spouses are cheating. You're like looking at your spouse. I'm only going to look at them. Um, it's fine. This isn't graded. But think about this for a moment. You're in a group project. and you're interdependent. You're not independent. You actually need one another. That's what this is saying. And you need one another to grow up. So, listen. If you are coming here, and you are merely coming here to be informed, I want to tell you, you're, you're missing out. In other words, if you're merely coming here to hear a sermon on a Sunday, that's a wonderful thing, but I want to tell you, you're missing out. 
because you actually need one another in relationship with one another. Paul is looking at this multi-ethnic community called out by grace in the gospel, and he's saying to them, you need each other. You need one another in these relationships because you're infants. You're self-centered and you're flaky. I mean, take the compliment, right? But he loves you. And that's why he's actually given you to one another. But secondly, Paul shows us the texture of these relationships. There's this palpable difference in terms of how these relationships are supposed to interact with one another, how the gospel shapes them. And Paul says three, shows us three things. There's, you're supposed to maintain something, you're supposed to lay down another thing, and then you're supposed to speak up. And the first thing about maintaining is in verses 2 and 3. So look at that for a moment. Paul writes, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, one of the things that I love about this section is how tethered to reality it is. Because Paul says, one of the things he says is this, he says, bear with one another in love. Do you know what that means? Relationships in the gospel are not easy. Uh, In other words, it means when you start living in relationships with others, you're gonna see people who have weaknesses, who have failures, who have contradictions in their life. In other words, who say they believe this, but live a different way. And Paul says, bear with one another in love. In other words, stick in that relationship. So oftentimes, right, what what happens when we get into a relationship that's really hard? We withdraw. Or we find some other relationships that can quote-unquote fill our cup. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong to find relationships that fill you up. But Paul is, something called, Paul is calling us to something different here. To a love that bears with one another in love. And here's what's also you should take notice of. It means this. Do you realize that that also means others are going to have to bear with you? In other words, we often think about others, but do you understand that I have weaknesses? I have contradictions. I have failures. And others are called to bear with me and with you. And it's notable that Paul includes really important characteristics to be completely humble, gentle, and patient because those are the qualities that it takes to be in a community. And also notice that Paul uses this intense language in verse 3. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's this maintaining the unity. Uh, It's, listen, if you remember last week, we saw that in Christ, God takes these people who are hostile on the outside world, and because of Christ and the cross, He brings them actually in to be family. And Paul says, 
here's the thing. You've been made one. You're one body. And there's, there's actually seven things here. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, God and Father of all. That's what Paul says in verses 4 and 5. And Paul is saying a gospel-shaped community has a sense of urgency to maintain unity. Now, let me just give you one implication. Uh, you know, last week, we were talking about this, this community that's called out to live together with one another, and I, one of the challenges I, I said was, hey, if you're on the fringe, would you consider taking one step closer in? And as I did that, I just, I want you to be clear that I'm a little bit nervous about doing that. And here's one reason why, is because oftentimes, when you're on the fringe, things look really good. And when you step into a community, oftentimes you have an idealized version of that community. And then what happens when you get in that community and you bring the idealized version in and it doesn't measure up? Do you know what happens? You begin to judge it. You begin to think like, I thought this was more. One of the things that Dietrich Bonhoeffer noted is this, if you carry the idealized version, you can actually end up destroying community because you make demands and you judge others. And he said, here's the challenge. Actually, when you step into church, in these relationships, whatever they are, is to receive them with thanksgiving. So let me put it this way. When you start to step into relationships that are shaped by the gospel, it means that person that is really hard to get along with, or even potentially you're like, I have nothing in common with that person, that actually you'd begin to say, God, thank you for them. Because actually that's what happens in the gospel. The, the only, listen, the only reason why we're here is because God has rescued us by his grace. That's the only entry point. It welcomes all. But secondly, Paul calls the, this, the texture of these relationships to be one where you lay down something. In this middle section, Paul quotes a, a psalm, and he sees that Christ is a further fulfillment, and it's almost like in the ancient world, a king who would win a great victory would divide the spoils. And here we see that what Paul is saying is that Christ, through his death, resurrection, and exaltation, gives his people gifts. In verse 7, here's what Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And that, that term grace here, actually in this particular context, it's referring to a spiritual gift. And it means this, if you put your faith in Christ, you've got at least one gift that he's given you. Um, you can find a list of these in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. There's a few here in Ephesians 4. But one of the ways I've seen these organized, which actually is a little bit is helpful, is, is kind of these four categories. Think about this way. There's, there's gifts of the heart, <clears throat> which is, involve an opportunity for service to individuals, being God's hands. This is such as hospitality or mercy or giving. There's gifts of proclamation, that's involved conveying God's truth to others, such as evangelism, teaching, discernment. 
There's gifts of action that involves moving individuals or churches toward accomplishing what God wants done, such as leadership, administration, shepherding, and counseling. Or fourthly, there's gifts of inspiration that makes us aware of God's power in our lives, such as healing and miracles. And notice this. That means although the church is to be unified, it doesn't mean there's uniformity, right? There's a diversity of gifts. And notice what the purpose is. In verses 12 and 13, this is what the purpose is. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So here's the end game right here. If you're a Christian, you've been given a gift. And these gifts are actually not for you. They're for those next to you. And guess what? The gifts you have, you didn't do anything to earn them. They're simply by grace received. And they've been given for one reason, to put them to use. And so here's, here's the interesting part here. It means this. In the church, here's what that looks like. It means you and I are called to lay down our lives with the gifts that God has given us on loan. So as one author put it, the person next to you's life would go better. They'd be built up in Christ. Listen, I, I, I can't, we, we're going through so much today. There's so many good examples of how this is being lived out in Redeemer City. But, but Paul is calling us into these relationships in which we're interdependent, using our gifts to build each other up. Do you see what's happening here? We need each other. But then thirdly, Paul says, speak up. And, and look at verse 15. Paul says this, um, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Uh, you know what? We live in a world in which, to be honest, we're good at speaking truth without love. I'm just going to tell you what's on my mind. We're also really good in our world of speaking love without truth. We live in a very tolerant world in which the, the culture would say, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. But in verse 21, Paul says this, the truth is in Christ. It's in Christ. The mystery now revealed. Now, here's what this means. Sometimes, it means in the relationships we're to cultivate in the church, it will mean others addressing our actions. But as one pastor put it, there's another sense in which actually the deeper thing is how are you and I actually not believing the gospel, the truth that is in Christ? Let me give you an example. A number of years ago, in a conversation with someone, they opened up about their life, about how it was filled with making things bigger and better. They'd done really well in business, and yet, it was wreaking havoc on their marriage, on their family, because they were so busy. This person said this, they had one foot in the world and one foot in with Jesus. And yet, when you begin to unpack what was going on underneath the story, they said this, 
all of this, this kind of hard work, this making things bigger and better, it was simply to make themselves worthy. So in that moment, what do they need to hear? Where do they need to grow? Well, in some regards, certainly some counsel on work-life balance. Certainly some areas of change in their life and repentance. But what's at the root? At the root is actually this person was not actually believing what they said they believed. Because don't you understand, in Christ, you do not have to prove that you're worthy. You're already accepted. You're already loved. You're already known all the way down. Do you see what's happening there? They need a truth in love. And that takes time and that takes relationships. Do you see the texture of these gospel-shaped relationships? This sense of bearing with one another in love, it's not easy. This dynamic of not living for self, but laying down yourself for others with the gifts God's given you. And then thirdly, cultivating relationships where actually people can speak into your life and vice versa. And that takes time. But Paul is saying that's what we, that's what we need. And do you understand how different this is? Like, think about the world as it is right now. Relationships are marked by what can you do for me? It's marked with a love without truth or truth without love. It's, it's marked by a lack of commitment to relationships. I get tired of you or you don't measure up or you don't do something for me. Do you see how sacrificial this looks? And do you see how different this gospel shapes our relationships in the church? So how do we do it? The last thing, the call. Um, look, look at verse 1 and how Paul begins this section. He says, Paul writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You know, um, <laughs> Paul says that there's a calling if you're in Christ. You remember that one Spider-Man, well, there's been a number of Spider-Man movies, but um, there's that one great line where Spider-Man says this, with great power comes great responsibility. Paul is saying something like this. In the gospel, you have an abundant of privileges you have been forgiven. You've been adopted into a new family. You have a future inheritance. You've been called into one body. All these privileges. In essence, he's saying this. Now, because of all that's being true, you have a great responsibility. In the gospel comes great privilege, but comes great responsibility. And Paul begins by saying this. To live out the gospel actually means to work out the texture of these relationships right here. That's your responsibility. That's what you're called to. And some of you, right now, you're saying this, I'm busy. Who has time? Who has time for relationships like this? Let me put it this way. 
Andy Crouch put it this way. He said, if your goal in life aligns in every way with the world around you, you don't need the church. But you do need church if you're on a mission that is so different that your life or livelihood would be in danger. Then you do need church. Listen, um, the relationships in the church, if you understand the vastness of the gospel and the mission that we're called to, it actually cultivates those kind of relationships. Some of you this morning are like, my life is just too messy. And listen, it, I want to be sensitive here because I understand it takes time to build trust. I'm not necessarily saying that, the, you know, like after the service, you're more than welcome to spill all your guts, what's going on in your life. But, but what I'm trying to say is this, is actually in the gospel, if it's really true that Christ has died for you, for your sins, if he loves you all the way down and knows you all the way down, do you understand what that means? Then that means there's actually nothing to hide because you're His. And what you'll find as you get into relationships in the church is that our lives are not put together as well. That we're simply clinging to Christ and what He's done and being transformed as we do. One last thing about how we do this. Notice that in verse 1, Paul says he's a prisoner for the Lord. Um, Paul, as he's writing this letter, is in prison. And why is he in prison? He actually go to the book of Acts, but he was taking an offering from Gentile churches to poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem because he believed so much in this reconciliation, this one body. He was trying to cement it. And he goes to Jerusalem and he knows that people don't like this and he gets arrested and he gets put in jail because of that. Now, why would Paul do that? Why would he do that? Do you know what the irony? If you know anything about Paul, he used to be the one putting other people in prison until guess what happened? The gospel. Jesus showed up and turned his life upside down and now what is he doing? He's laying down his life for the sake of the gospel and for the church. Do you see it? In other words, if you find yourself today and you're like, I don't got anything like these relationships, or I'm kind of in the midst of this, I'm struggling through these relationships. The point is to go back to the gospel. Do you know the width and the height and the depth and the length of God's love for you? And to that degree, press in, press in, and be shaped by it. Let me pray. Father, this morning, as we think about our relationships right here, would you help this good news shape them, transform them? Would you take us, who oftentimes are flaky, self-centered, and would you work this good news into our life in such a way that the relationships here would have a texture where you give us a patience with others, 
a gratitude for what is. Lord, that you would help us find ways to serve others with the gifts that you've given us in time, talent, and resources. Lord, that you would take us as a body and that you might help just work in such a way that there be safe places where relationships could go deeper, where people could be known and others could be known, and these great gospel truths would speak into the dark places of our lives and bring about more of you, Jesus. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.